Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Into Your Ass. I'm Dan Grace, as always, I'm joined by Ross Miriam. Ross, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Um, you know, w- one trivia last night, so we're back to back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> the sun rose, the sky is blue, Ross Witch trivia. Tell me what's new. Yeah. All right. So it's, uh, for me, it's 1230, it's 1.30 p.m. on, what is it? It's a Thursday. Thursday. For some reason, it feels like a Friday to me. Today is Thursday, uh, the 31st. And we're going to be going over most of the rest of the Wilds of Eldraine. Um, spoiler. So we're going to be doing, you know, we did a lot of the mythics on the last show, a few of the rares. We're going over probably all the rest of the rares and maybe a few of the uncommons that we don't miss anything, but a lot of the stuff that we think is going to either uh, have some impact somewhere or just something pipe, uh, pipes up our interest. So uh, a lot of stuff like that going on today. But before we get into that, uh, how was your last week? Anything going? Um... You finally, you finally back and like ready to go, and you you know the jet lag's not a problem anymore and everything. Yeah, I'm basically now starting to try to like plan out the rest of the year, and um, you know it turns out I'm going to be pretty busy. So uh, it's a kind of daunting to look at my calendar and where I feel like I have things going on every weekend, and, uh, and you know I'm planning some new content stuff both with Magic and now with Lorcana. I'm going to be working with uh, with Todd on some stuff, so. Uh, got to get up to speed on that game as well. So I'm going to have a lot going on over these next couple months. Good for you. I've got a decent bit too. Uh, I actually got messaged by Todd like two days ago. It was just a, <laughs> it was just Lorcana question mark. Trevor, you're like, you know, you're interested in Lorcana. Like I'm learning the game as soon as possible. Anybody who's in our, um, our discord, which we have, you know, an active discord here from G Ranth. We have, you know, channels for some of the other games that we play. So there's a Lorcana channel. And I, you know, I actually messaged it yesterday. I was like, where's the best place for me to go watch videos to like learn to play <laughs> yeah. this game? Because, How I learn. Because, like, I feel like this one's going to be easy. Like, everyone's like, you're going to pick it up fast. It's going to be easy, blah, blah, blah. Because the last game that I really sat down and put in time to, like, where I did it was Flesh and Blood. And I'll tell you this. The initial dive into that game was horrendous. Like, really bad. That game is very complicated. It There were almost no good videos on how to play the game. Or they were kind of, like, hastily thrown together. And I'm like, I have so many questions. I have more questions now than I did before. You know? <laughs> kind of thing. So... I didn't feel like I learned anything. <laughs> you know, kind of, like, I know what these phrases read now. You, you get what I'm saying. Like, not yeah. trying to, you know, dawn pile on the game. The game's great. But you get what I'm saying. All right. So, um, anything else going on? Uh, SCG Columbus we this weekend. That's sort uh-huh. of the first thing back. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm certainly going to play a breach deck. But I'm not sure exactly what kind of breach deck. I've got some ideas. So, uh, there'll be a list up in the Patreon on Friday once I finalize everything. And hopefully I can get the cards I need. I did this week kind of snuck up on me, so <laughs> I, I don't own any new cards. <laughs> I'm gonna have yeah, to look sure. at some. Yeah, like uh, I thought about playing paper at my local stores. We've been having like you know 500 to 1 case here li- lately, and yeah, you know, there's been like Pioneer or there's been a lot of Modern recently. And I'm like, oh man, I could like play Modern. I'm like, I go look at the scan list. I'm like, I could play scan. I'm like, I don't own any Omasters. I'm like, oh, I could play like the four color deck because I have like the, the whole four color. Deck. I'm like, wait, I don't own any rings. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's just like, does anybody have these I can borrow to get LOL as a response of like, you know, do, do I have four in this card tomorrow? I'm playing them. And then the store, I'm like, do you have four of them? And they're just like, LOL. Like, obviously, you know, <laughs> you know I'm like, well, well, shit. <laughs> you know? And then I go live online. I'm like, oh, these are really expensive, too. You know, it's like, yeah. I probably need to win the day of tournament to break even at this point, you know? Time to play like some poker prowess, Shannon. Yeah. I feel like one of those poker players, you know, that like in the rebuy tournament, so they're like, Hey, congratulations on, your, on like your third place finish, you know, this like huge turn. And they're like, yeah, I, I lost money. <laughs> I had eight injuries or whatever, you know, like, yeah. One of those funny things, but 
All right, enough about random stuff. Let's talk about these uh these previewed magic cards. For anybody at home that wants to follow along, we're using scryful.com for this. You can just go to the set, and it has it alphabetically by card type. And I'm, I'm sorry, not card type, card rarity. So it's going to start with the mythics, you, which we did. You can sort by a lot of things. We just have yeah. it by rarity. Well, this is how we is what I'm saying. Yeah. I just got a link for Ross because I'm very, I'm very lazy. I was like, send me whatever you're using so I can just follow along. And so this is what I've got in front of me. So for everybody, we're starting with the, you know, the A's in uh, rares. And the rares, yeah, since we did all the mythics last show. Yeah. It was, uh, what's like one of the first ones that catches your eye that you want to talk mm. about over here? Well, I actually think the first two are... Uh, they're interesting com- compared with each other because uh, they do both have the this uh, sort of aura theme. So Archon of the Wild Rose, two white white for a 4-4 four, four flyer. And it says other creatures you control that are enchanted by auras you control have a power and toughness 4-4 four, four, and have flying. The base power toughness 4-4. Four, four, so. And then there's a Tale for the Ages, a one and a white enchantment. This is enchanted creatures you control get plus two, plus two. So... The one that kind of like gets me excited here are these two. Like, obviously, the other card's fine, right? Like, it's, yeah. it's a decent little flyer that can like finish a game off. Like, that's a lot of stats for four mana. Four, four flyer for four plus green or other stuff is pretty big. And then it happens like when it comes into play, right? So it affects the board immediately, possibly. Yeah, it's a um, static which, effect. So as right. soon as it enters the battlefield, the, the Their, base yeah. powers change. And they have flying too. So, like, you could all of a sudden out of nowhere take eight or 12 in a game that you were expecting to. So that card could have some relevancy. A Tale of the Aegis for me, though, is the one that's like, that one, I'm like, hmm. And I look at that one, I'm like, wait, wait a minute, we might have something here. I don't, do you feel that way out of these two? I'm actually more, I'm actually higher on the Archon. Uh, okay. T- specifically because, or, so Aura's decks typically don't go very wide. You're m- usually just building one very tall threat with several okay. Auras on it. So Tail for Two Ages, you know, flips that script. It wants you to play, you know, one enchantment on everything, pump all of your creatures. I think that's harder to maximize the potential of. Now, Archon is also, you know, incentivizing you to go wide, but the boost is so significant, especially with the flying and the fact that it comes attached with the body itself. If you're only affecting one, maybe two other creatures that you have on the battlefield, that's enough for Archon to represent a huge sure. amount of additional power. That's actually a really good point. It, a Tale for Ages, like, the when I think about it, I kind of have the same... Um, What's the word I'm looking for here? You could build that, like, you could potentially build a deck with okay. a Tale for the Ages, but you'd have to build completely around it. So I'm not exactly yeah. sure how it would look, but it's definitely a powerful card when you envision the scenarios where it's maximized. You know, there's a lot of creatures in this set that enter with a roll sure. attached to them, so they just come with the enchantment along with them. If <laughs> if some of those are priced for constructed play, suddenly building around a Tale for the Ages becomes a lot easier. You're less of an Auras deck and more of this just like aggro deck with incidental Auras to make your double Anthem work. What was the uh, enchantment back in the day? I keep wanting to say Sculpting Steel, and that's on it. It's like one white-white. It's like artifacts get plus two Tempered plus two. Steel. Tempered Steel, yeah. A lot of people have compared this to Tempered Steel. This is not Tempered Steel, but I see where the comparison yeah, happens. It, it, it takes a lot more work for this card. Yeah, you can't just go like Ornithopter, Mimnite, play this one drop, like, you know, playing Ginger Bird, and then like on turn three, play that and be like, all right, attack you for hit. Like, that's not... It's not the same thing. It's not, it's not the same ease at which the other ones have. Yeah. But when I see cards like this, they're the cards that, like, when I look at them, I'm like, that's really cool. That's not for me, but someone's going to do something good with this, or I could do something good with this. And so that's why I always kind of, like, I'm hesitant to say, uh, yeah, I don't think this card's any good, just because it's it's not my cup of tea. Yeah. Also, Archon seems incredible and limited because there's just so many rolls hanging yeah. around. <laughs> All right, what was the uh, next one that caught your eye? So next up is a Bramble Familiar. This is um, 
I almost want to say like Green's Fae of Wishes because it's like the adventure creature that you can play early and then return to your hand late to use the adventure side. Yeah. So it's one at a green for a 2-2, taps to add a green, and you can pay one at a green, tap it, discard a card to return it to its owner's hand. Uh, and then the adventure half, uh, Fetch Quest, 5GG Sorcery, mill seven cards, then put a creature, enchantment, or land card from among the milled cards onto the battlefield. So... A cool card for ramp strategies because it's an early mana creature, and then late in the game, late in the game, it tutors, you know, or close to tutors, looks at seven cards um, uh, to find some sort of you know big threat once you no longer need the mana. So I'm a little worried at it just being a two-two, so it's going to die to things like play with fire and other cheap removal spells pretty easily as a two-mana creature that doesn't generate any value. But that if there's a you know a green big mana deck, it's probably interested in a card like this. Yeah, I'm pretty uh, interested in this card. I think the design is very elegant, and the fact that uh, I love the Fae of Wishes thing because of the returning it to your hand. But I think it's just about functionality as well of the card, right? Because like when the quest, co- I'm sorry, I said this quest because it is when the adventure costs so much more than the creature. Sometimes you run into that problem where like, well, if I play the creature side, then I don't get the adventure side later in the game. And if I want to keep the adventure side, I have to make that decision early in the game and keep it in my hand the next five turns. You don't have that problem with this card, right? You get to return it to your hand late as the game goes on. So like you said, you know, you don't need the mana anymore. You get to pick it up and then start to do the adventure side, which is really good. Also, I'm just a big fan of cards like this where like they advance your normal strategy, right? Like, look, it's a creature. It's a two drop. It's going to jump me to four, five, six mana quickly, right? So I can I can cast these big creatures in my deck quicker, right? And then the other end of it also does that thing. It puts these creatures or enchantments or whatever into play and does this stuff. But also, I like this because it's a mana dork that gets put in your deck that isn't a bad top deck on current seven. Like, how many times have you played a game that's, like, close and you're like, I need a good top deck. You're like, please draw a spell and you draw a land where else. Yeah. And you're like, shit. <laughs> or you draw like you know you draw one of the like zero two like what was you know cabin curated and you're like crap <laughs> well i guess i'm jumping and so with this you're like okay quest and do the whole thing if you have a bunch of man you also get this two two for my for my case so this is a card i think could definitely make it in there it just matters what you know the formats look like and if the formats get grindy and stuff i'm i'm loving cards like this like it's a must yeah. answer immediately right and then, not to mention, it's in green, which, like, there's so many ways in green, especially say, to, like, get back cards and or creature cards from your graveyard. So you're like, okay, like, do something to retire a couple creature cards from your graveyard from your hand. Get this thing back. Get two spells out of it. And, and probably way more than my mana investment. You know, get, you know, pay the seven, get something good, you know, make the two drop. So, yeah, I like so this card incidental card advantage as well, which is something that red yeah. decks like to have. Yeah, so, like, it... it it's it's kind of tooth and nail esque, but it also ramps itself in a tooth and nail with all not while not being as good. So yeah. like I like it, it feels a lot like turn tipper symbiosis to me. Sure, you know? okay, right. it has right. early functionality and late functionality. It's not overly powerful. Like you know, yeah. the stats aren't are don't blow me away. If it was you know a two three or if the you know quest only costs like five or six, uh, it, it would be a lot better. But I think I think it's priced well enough that it could see some play. So it's an adventure card in a nutshell, especially like a playable adventure card. The ones that are like both sides are good enough for what you're paying for, but together they make the card good. That's that's what I like. Um, how do you feel about this charming scoundrel card, the red that's next? Uh, the one that so for me, it's one in a red for a one-one human rogue. Rogue is relevant, by the way. Yep. Uh, it's got haste, and then when it enters the battlefield, you choose one. Uh, rummage, discard a card, draw a card, create a treasure token, or create a wicked roll token attached to target creature you control. 
Uh, I want to make sure that everybody that has the third ability doesn't have to target this. This creature you control, so you can do yeah. you know things and other stuff. Um, if a red aggro deck exists, this is a decent enough card, or maybe like uh, the the fact that it can kind of pseudo ramp you is nice. Late in the game, you can loot. Uh, the wicked roll uh, tokens can can do some stuff. I think that if there's a red deck that wants this kind of creature, this will be a role player. I. I, I worry about it in like a mono red deck that's trying to kill you as fast as possible. It just being a one one haste, but I think maybe it just it does just enough to possibly yeah. make and it. And the wicked roll, you know, at a baseline can make it a two two. That right. when the roll dies, your opponents lose a life, so you get the small mm -hmm. amount of value there. So it's sort of baseline as a two mana two two haste, but it has all these other options. You yeah. know, you, you can if you want a ramp, you can make the treasure token. If you need to filter through your deck, you can do that a little bit. So. Uh, a little bit like Red's answer to Charming Prince. Um, I do think it's it, it's probably a little bit uh, underpowered. Like it, I I would compare this to something like um, yeah, slightly. It's just like um, it's like one tick too too little, right? Um, the adversary. What's the Red adversary? That's not Blood Tide adversary, is it? Even the one that has haste, then you get to pay three. Yeah, the that's the one, one the Red yeah. decks nowadays are playing. I think that card is better than this one. Um, you know, you're probably going to have it as a 2-2 haste most of the time when you play it early in your red aggro deck, and the upside on the adversary is, is higher than the upside on Charming Scoundrel, but, you know, if you're a deck that maybe is utilizing treasures more, you have, like, this artifact sub-theme, maybe you just want a sort of Wily Goblin uh, that has a little bit of, of other functionality, but I, I'm... I am... I wouldn't write this one off completely, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much exactly where I'm at. Yeah. Uh we did I don't think we need to talk about cruel somnophage, right? That was that was just kind of a card. Uh my issue with this one is that the adventurer costs two mana. If you could curve it and this, go turn one, mill four, turn two, play this card, yes. and have it be, you know, a, a two two that can grow from there, I'd be a lot more interested in it. But the fact that you either you're basically just never playing this card on turn two because it's hard to get creatures in the graveyard by then. So yeah, yeah I'm I'm I've heard some hype around it, but I'm not that high. Yeah, we've already talked about uh, Decadent Dragon. Did you want to talk about Devouring Sugar Maw? Oh yeah, I love yeah. the Sugar Maw. Yeah, yeah. Okay, two BB for a six six Menace Trample. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may sacrifice an artifact, enchantment, or token. If you don't tap Devouring Sugar Maw, and it has an adventure which is have for dinner costs one and a white. So we've got, you know, one of these sort of split colored uh, adventure creatures and it creates, uh, it's an instant that creates a 1-1 one, one white human creature token and a food token. So yeah. it really just, it's a lot of stats and a lot of permanence a very for good one card. Self, yeah, it's a very good self-contained card, right? Yeah. So uh, this stacks up to the long list of 6-6 six, six black creatures for four mana that are, that have some form of drawback, like like Devouring Demon and all those kind of things. Um I like this one a lot. It doesn't have flying, but having Menace and Trample makes it really good, right? This is extremely hard to block. So this is going to yeah. be getting damage through. <clears throat> also, it's a black card that has, like, you know, the white ability, which these are probably the two best colors to generate tokens and creatures for you to sacrifice and probably get some kind of value as the game goes on. Uh, big fan of this card. I think it's going to be great. As long as you can find a home for it, obviously. Uh, yeah, you need to be able to cast both sides of this card. I think definitely need to cast both sides of it. Uh, you know, but I, I, I like it too. It's a, it's a card that I think can open up new space because it is very powerful. It'll, it also do a little, it'll, it'll, it'll depend a little bit on 
uh, what kind of removal is being played in standard. You know, if there's a, a bunch of, you know, terminate kind of effects, like just two mana kill anything, uh, it's going to be tough. But if there's more red damage-based removal, then the 6-6 six, six is great. So uh, you'll have to watch out for that a little bit. But uh, I think that, you know, even in a metagame where people have good removal, the fact that you're going to get some value out of the adventure side of it most of the time uh, means that you can, you know, stomach that trade more easily. Yeah, agreed. <clears throat> we talked about Elusive Otter. Uh, does Elvish, um, what is that one say? Archivist? Elvish Archivist? Yeah, sorry. Got it on small on my screen again. Uh, does that one stand out to you at all? Um, it is interesting. Like, it, right. it grows pretty quickly. This is so one on a green for O one Elf Artificer. Whenever one or more artifacts enter the battlefield under your control, put two plus and plus one counters on it. This ability triggers only once each turn. And whenever one or more enchantments enter the battlefield under your control, draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. So, I'm... It's, I think it's hard to sort of do both, but you can either play it as this really aggressive threat in a more artifact-centric deck, or a you know a a pseudo enchantress, you know, in the enchantress deck. If you do the enchantress side, it's pretty vulnerable as a two mana one, you know, without any sort of protection. So I'd probably be more interested in the artifact side, where it shouldn't be that hard to like play it, make it a two three, then next turn make it a four five, and and start attacking. Um, you know, if you have things like um, Especially when you have, um, like, Cat Oven. Is it? Yeah. And with Cat Oven, you're getting an artifact entering every single turn. It also says once each turn. So you can trigger it on your turn, then trigger it again on their turn. So Good maybe point. maybe those new builds of, like, the you know Cat Oven Sacrifice decks that you can play with Archivist that get more aggressive. Ooh. I didn't even think about that. That's pretty nice. Uh, yeah. Next, we have Expel the Interlopers. This is the five mana Wrath of this set. Three white, white. Sorcery, choose a number between 0 and 10, destroy all creatures of power greater than or equal to the chosen number. Now, this one's actually pretty cool, the fact that you could play this as a wrath, but you could also possibly play this in creature decks where, like, you're the smaller creature deck, right? Like, you're, like, white weenie, like, the tragic, yeah. tragic arrogance, like that, and, like, you're, like, well, I've got a bunch of, like, 1-1s, two twos, and 3-3s, and then my opponent has, you know, a couple 4-4s, four and you're, like, okay, I'll, I'll choose a number 4. Like, you lose all your stuff. You get to play win people. Yeah, it's it's like Dusted On, if you remember there that you split yeah, card from Amon Ken. So for two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this card is, is quite good for that reason. Like, it's not this. Uh, it is a sweeper if you need it in the control shell. But you can always just name zero. Um, but its most exciting applications is like you said, is trying to get it as one sided as possible by playing the really low to the ground small creature, uh, go wide aggressive decks. And when your opponent puts up a couple blockers that stymies your attacks, you've got this card to really punch through. You know, even if you kill one of yours, if you kill two or three of theirs, and you set up your attacks, you're going to be in really good shape. So I like this card quite a bit. I, I hope there's a good home for it. Mm -hmm. Big big fan as well. Uh, did you want to just like kind of go through every card? We're moving pretty fast. Yeah. I think, I, mean, we, I think we got the time. There's a few we could just be like, yeah, this isn't, you know, whatever. Yeah, right. if it's not that, you know, if it's completely unplayable. But we'll at least mention it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Did you want to do uh, Extraordinary Journey? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, uh, XX, blue, blue. When it enters the battlefield, X all up to X target creatures. For each of those cards, its owner may play play it from exile as long as it remains exiled. Whenever one or more non-token creatures enter the battlefield, if one or more of them entered the from exile or was cast from exile, you draw a card. This ability triggers only once each turn. Uh, like... I think this is going to be like 
decent and limited if your deck goes long because you can just like hit three or four of their creatures and they're not gonna be hovering time plus you're gonna get card advantage off of it but even then like it's fine and you might only draw like one or two cards off this if you even get four creatures because they'll probably be able to play multiple other creatures in the same turn so uh that yeah this to me feels like a uh a commander card yeah, because, I'm not even sure. You, know, you can that, exile yeah. your opponent's stuff, and as they're as all your opponents are recasting their creatures, you're drawing a bunch of extra cards. Yeah. And you know those games go long. You have a ton of mana to use in a you competitive. You can target your own too. Yeah, you can target your own and reuse yeah. them for more value. But that's going to be really hard to do in any competitive setting because you know you just don't have the time to you know lose that much tempo on the battlefield in order to yeah. generate a few extra cards. So yeah, I would say far too expensive for our purposes. Mm. Uh, here we go, another card that might get played in Commander and probably going to be pretty good in Limited. This is a sorcery called Fairy Slumber Party. Four blue blue. Return all creatures to their owner's hands. For each opponent who controls a creature return this way, you create two 1-1 one, one blue fairy creature tokens with fly, and this creature can can block only creatures with flying. So, uh, yeah, I don't see this one making constructive. I could, I could potentially see it as a role player in... Um, as a cyber card in the right matchup. You know, if you're playing against a, a creature heavy strategy that isn't that low to the ground, um, because obviously six mana is kind of expensive, you know, I, I imagine playing this against, you know, decks like, you know, Mono Green Devotion, if that was a thing in standard still, I think it would be very good against decks like that, especially for a tempo-oriented fairies, you know, style deck. So, uh, this to me, I think there's a, a role for it as a sideboard card, but that's the extent of its possibilities. Next one, we get our four mana draw spell, uh, Foresight Ritual. Two blue blue is to bargain. Look at the top four cards of your library. If the spell is bargaining the top eight of your car cards of your library instead, put two of them in your hand and the rest of the bottom yep. of your library in a random order. Um, I think if you could like use the bargain for this and your deck is trying to do something inherently very powerful and you're trying to find pieces, this is a card I'd be interested in. Otherwise, not see it. Yeah, I, I think it can see play in standard for sure, but it's significantly worse than Memory Deluge. So in any format where it's vying with Deluge for a spot, uh, you know, even in decks that can readily bargain, you know, things like um, uh, the Wandering Emperor give you, you know, creatures that you could easily sacrifice, or if you're playing things like... Um, oh, I don't know, like Allrun's Epiphany gives you some extra tokens, but... You know, the, there, there's things you can play, but even with that, I think Deluge would be better. Um, so th this to me is a standard only card, and it seems like yeah. a, you know, a fine four mana draw spell for decks that want to play four mana draw spells. Uh, Funsbane Troll, two black and green for a troll four four. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, create a monster roll token attached to it, and Shadow Creature gets plus and minus one and has trample. So it's a it's a five five trailer. Okay. Uh, one, pay one, sacrifice an aura attached to this. Uh, it fights target creature you don't control. If the creature would die to start exile instead, activate only as a sorcery. Um, probably still like not good enough for constructed. Like maybe you know, but like it's still going to be like pretty low. It's going to die to remove spell response to like attacking often, and if you if they have man up or whatever, blah blah blah. But like definitely a limited all star and possibly making it constructed. This to me is is the mid range creature that's very good against aggressive decks. You know, you play this at five mana and you're able to play it immediately, use the ability, fight one of their creatures, still have a four four back against whatever's left. Yeah. Uh you're in pretty good shape. You notice, you know, you can also sack any aura attached to it. So 
uh, I would love to play with Ranker, but I'm not sure if there's a you know a format where that would be viable. If Ranker is standard, maybe. Right? isn't that legal? There's Audacity, which would be a cool one to go with it. Um, the problem is those kind of cards like are don't really go into the kinds of decks that Fonzbane Troll would want to go into. Yeah. Um, so I would look at this mainly as just a standalone, you know, five mana four four that fights something, or a four mana five five, you know, that you can uh, you know use to pressure uh, yeah. other decks. So. It seems reasonable to me. I don't know if there's going to be the you know a Golgari mid range deck, but th this card seems just very very good against aggressive strategies. Sure, uh, Feral Encounter, Green Green Sorcerer. You look at the top five cards of your library. You may exile a creature card from among them, put the rest in the bottom of your library at random order. You may cast the exile card this turn. At the beginning of your next combat phase, this turn. Oh, Jesus, so much words in this turn. At the beginning of the next combat phase, this turn. Target creature you control deals damage equal to its power. It's a one target creature you don't control. Why? That's a lot that's going on here. Yeah. And it's two green mana, so like playing this on turn two is kind of weird because like you know, might not hit a creature unless you're infinite. Uh, this card's weird. Oh, you only get to cast the exiled card that turn. So this I is not. This yeah. is not a. That's what I'm saying. Know, cast it's, on turn two spell. It's this card is really weird. And then. So being able to do next time I phase in this turn. So if you do it your second main phase, you just don't get that part of the card. Um, correct. Yeah, so like... But you can also cast this for cheap and just use yeah. it as the sort of fight... And it's not a fight mode, but the uh, so, like ambuscade kind of mode. Yeah, so you can use it that way and then hope you get some card advantage off of it where like it also gets you a card, yeah. and that's pretty good. But like this, I'm saying, this card is not a two-drop. Yeah. Yeah, and it can also help you, you know, uh, if you're trying to answer something and you don't have a creature in play, this will dig for the creature, then you get to play the creature, then you go to the combat step because of the weird way it's templated... You know that for that creature you find off of it, if you're able to cast it, can then be used to fight. So you can, you know, if you top deck this in the late game, you could potentially, you know, get every single mode of it, um, even with the the even if you don't already have a creature on the battlefield. Good. So it's sort of like removal, just a removal spell early, and then late game, it's potentially get a creature plus a removal spell. Sure, um, but you have to pay the cost for the creature. So interesting card. Uh, I think, you know, if there was a deck like Mono Green Aggro that we've seen in some recent standard environments, this card would fit pretty well into that yeah, kind of really deck. really good, actually, I think. Yeah, because it would give that that deck, you know, its removal spell that it usually needs, like, one of, but its removal spell doubles as threat density in the control matchup. Yeah, used, used to in the past, we've had cards in those decks that, like, because since you're Mono Green, you don't really, you know, you don't get dismembered, right? Like, you have, yeah. to, fight, you have to play these weird cards as removal, and you've had to play fight cards before in the past. Like, I've seen Mono Green play stuff like, and construct yeah, it and, and be like primal fine. might and, and you don't want to draw it in certain matchups or like if you draw too many of a certain matchup it's not good and this is one that kind of mitigates that problem like you were kind of talking about so i'm actually liking this card a lot the more i read it depending on yep. like you know if that kind of deck exists that really wants this i mean even if you're just playing like you know a green red monsters deck like in the past where you know you have maybe a couple of like red cards that don't really fit your theme or like a certain matchups like any kind of mirror or mid-range matchup this might be better the turn where you're like okay my thing kills your thing, get a creature, and now I'm pretty far ahead. It's a very solid two-for-one. Yeah, and even in in those kinds of matchups, you could, you know, find on turn three, like a Llanowar Elves, get ahead on yeah. mana, kill their elf, mm -hmm. and, and feel pretty good about your spots. So I, I like this card. It has a pretty narrow range of homes, but it will be very good in those homes should, you know, a deck like that be competitive. Yep. Don't think we need to talk about Food Fight. Godric, we talked about already. Let's go ahead and move to Gruff Triplets. Uh, three, Gregory, uh, Seder Warrior, 3-3. Three, three. It's got Trample. 
when it enters the battlefield, if it is a token and create two tokens that are copies of it, and then when rough triplets dies, put a number of plus one plus gathers equal to the equal to its power on each creature you control named gruff triplets am i wrong in thinking this card's good uh it's a lot of value <laughs> it's a lot of value it's 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 a lot of mana too it's six mana with triple green but like you know they're right in the format where you can play six drop service kind of reminds me of a titan-esque type card yeah where you, like, get th- yeah. you get three three threes and then when one of the three threes dies it becomes two six sixes and then when one of those dies you have a 12 12 right yeah, it does say That's each how... creature you control named Gruff Triplets. Yeah. Not to mention blinking uh, this in any kind of way or turning it from the graveyard in any kind of way is pretty sweet. So uh, if, if there's like some other green decks or some decks that can cast, you know, triple green pretty respectfully on like tons, you know, God forbid, tons four, but five, you know, it kind of gets us into play pretty quickly. This is going to kill some people. You have to have a uh, kind of wrath effect to deal with this. You can't use spot removal against this. Yeah, card. it's it's almost like a souped up precursor golem. Yeah, and golem did see some play in its yeah in its day. Yeah, it could be a sleeper. All right, gumdrop poisoner two and a black for a human warlock. Uh, it's got life link. It's a three two, and it enters the battlefield. Up to one target creature gets minus x minus x until end turn, where x is the number of life you gain this turn. But it also has Tempt of Treats. That's a uh, adventure. It's a good name, Tempt of Treats. It's an instant for one black, create a food token. Um, this might be like kind of slow, maybe for like constructed, like you know this kind of thing. You know, if you have something that needs like tokens and the bodies, and everything I can see that it is like two cards technically in one. I think this is going to be a very good card and limited, obviously, but um, maybe for constructed. It's, for it's, a, it's definitely a lot of work. Right, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. just by itself, you can hold off on casting the body until turn five, sack the food token that you made on turn one, play poisoner, give something minus three, minus three. So I like the fact that you know it works to a degree as a self-contained entity. You don't need to put in any work, but you can make it better if you want to put in some work. I also like that because it has lifelink, it will fuel f- later poisoners. You know, you play the first one, maybe you don't kill anything with it because you played on turn three. You attack with that one, then you make it play another poisoner, and you could just give minus three, minus three without having to sink mana into sacking food tokens or any other source of life gain. You just get it in combat. Um, so I do think there's potential for this card, but you're going to want to put in some work and get some incidental sources of life gain that you know don't necessarily require you to commit any mana to them. Say like I don't know, uh, Shieldred the Apocalypse. Oh, is that a good one? Yeah, yeah. So, like, you could play a Shieldred, and then, you know, you gain two life when you draw a card, then you're at turn five, you sack the food token, and you play Poisoner, now you give minus five, minus five to something when it ETBs, and that that's really impressive. Which, which so. is exactly enough to kill an opposing Shieldred, which <laughs> oh, is nice. Oh, weird. <laughs> <laughs> that worked out. All right. I kind of like this next card, uh, just because I like cards like this. Heart Flame Duelist. One in a light for a human knight is a 3-1. It says instant and sorcery spells you control have lifelink. It has an adventure. It's an instant called a heart thing slash to a red, uh, deal three damage to any target. So, um, a three, one for one in white with a relevant ability is okay. The thing is, it's like that ability is probably not going to be super relevant often enough in like the white decks that you'd want to play the aggressive cost of creatures. Like maybe you have a white red deck with creatures and bird spells. Uh, the yeah, other end well, of it though, also being a rule spell, kind of nice. It's, it's a self-contained card, except if they do them in the reverse order, so multiple copies of this work well. So in 
I can see this. This creature in a format where combat matters, th this is one that's going to be pretty good at line games. Yeah, except for the one toughness uh, has me worried. Um, honestly, this card feels a lot like just a, a good cube card to me that's not yeah. going to see a ton of constructed play, but it, I bet it's good yeah. in cube. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's going to be a sweet one. It's definitely going in my cube. Yes. Yeah. But I do like the way this is designed. You know, this is sort of their updated way of designing the adventure creatures where the, the spell half is slightly more expensive. So there's not a natural natural curve to it. Yeah, you don't always go 2-3 three or 3-4 three, yeah. with it. You have to kind of you know, work, yeah. work with it, it a little bit. It adds some tension to the card. It's mm. not just, this is very easy to get full value out of. You know, you you to get full value, you, you really have to wait on it. And then the 3-1 is not nearly as effective. So... I could potentially see it if, you know, especially if you have a lot of spells to give lifelink. But as you said, like that ability historically was in control decks. It was just yeah. guy black that played the, the two mana two, two that had that ability. Yeah. His name escapes me. It uh, seems like gave your stuff rebound or rebuy or things or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You could make four mana and you, you basically had buyback on a spell, Yeah, uh, but also just had is. the same static ability to give your and yeah. sorceries lifelink. Uh, and that was really effective in a more defensive deck that had various damage-based removal spells. So you got to gain, you know, five yeah. plus life over the course of a an, of a game. So yeah. uh, I'm this card is a little bit conflicted in that way. It's an aggressively costed card that has a defensive ability to it, and I'm usually not a fan of those. Gotcha. Speaking of cards that you are fans of, I'm a fan of this next one, Orange oh, yeah. Lock Whale. Uh, this is going to be one of the big winners, I think, possibly out of this set for me. Four blue blue for a whale. It's got Flash, War 2. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, it enters tap unless it's your turn. It's a 6-6. Six, six. Uh, it has an adventure. It's one in a blue instant. The owner or target attacking creature you don't control puts it on the top or bottom of their library. Very good classic control card here, Ross. Love to like here. Yeah, I you know, Zorius Charm was a staple removal spell in its day. That was, you know, 10 years ago at this point. But I will say I this, the, you have to target your uh, effect creature you don't uh, control, which sucks because I can't tell you how many times I Zorius Charm my own Snapcaster pages, but continue. <laughs> just, just saying. Yeah, can't, I did can't do that, do that a lot. But, I, you know, Zorius Charm, the subtle reason why that card was so good was that in the matchups where you didn't want it or the game played out where you didn't need to use it as a removal spell, you could just cycle it away. Uh -huh. And this card, you know, just ends up being a big threat at the end of the game that's attached to a removal spell. So you don't have to play other win conditions for the most part. You're just going to plan to win the game with Hornlock Whale. And you also have the added removal in there for uh, aggressive decks. So you're not losing anything by shoehorning more removal in your deck. And you're not losing slots by, you know, having to devote slots to soul win conditions. So this is a great split card for control strategies in standard. And I expected to see a lot of play in those decks. Yeah, definitely a sweet one. Next, we have uh, the Crown of Winter. This is a three-mana legendary artifact. You can pay one and tap it. Tap target creature. This ability costs one less to activate during your turn. And you can pay three, sacrifice the crown, draw a card for each tapped creature your opponent controls. I think this is a little slow for, like, constructed stuff. I can see it with that blue-white legendary that we talked about the last show, that, like, you, when you tap creatures, you draw cards and stuff. It seems like a lot of work for something that doesn't necessarily win the game. Yeah, for me. this is a, this is very much a commander card. Very good limited. Know. Very good limited. Yeah, but, but the issue it is mainly like when your opponent is attacking you, which is how they're going to get a lot of tapped creatures. You don't have time to spend a bunch of mana just drawing cards and not affecting the battlefield. So, yeah, it doesn't really help you get get out of that situation. Whereas you know in commander, your uh, your your it says all your opponents 
you know, when your opponents are attacking your other opponents, they still have tap creatures and your life total is not under duress. You can just, you know, draw four, five, six cards out of it. But in a one-on-one -on -one setting, it's you're really never going to realize that kind of potential. And instead, you're just going to be fumbling around with all of your mana trying to, you know, maybe tap some stuff down. It, it's likely just, you know, its best function is just as an ice manipulator. Yeah. It's it's pretty unlimited. And then I see this being Commander where, like, someone does something, or I responsibly draw eight cards, or whatever, like, cast Cryptic Command, draw all ten cards, you know, because all the creatures in play are tapped kind of thing. Yeah. So Maybe there's a deck that's just in the market for Tumble Magnet. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, next one is an interesting one, but we'll see. I don't know if this one makes it, but it's... I would aim the Pyro Hammer, two red red for a 4 4 legendary human knight. Whatever an instant or sorcery spell you control that targets only a single creature deals damage to that creature. <laughs> uh, this deals that much damage to each opponent. Uh, a little slow on my end to, to, to like this card. Yeah, you could, you know, if you untap with it in a red deck, if this is your high end threat and you play it and untap with it, you're probably going to deal them a lot of damage. You so know, you like, start... I agree with that, but like. I'd rather just play more aggressive cards if I'm trying to kill them that way and have my yeah. deck be more consistent over the first three or four turns of the game. That's the other thing. When you're playing the red aggressive deck, if you untap with your four drop, you probably should be winning the game. <laughs> you know, if your deck is not designed in that way, then there's a problem. So if that's the only redeeming aspect of Imodane, then it's probably not the best option because yeah. it'll be a lot weaker when you're behind. If you had to use all your removal early, for example... Um, and it's, you know, simply a four mana four, four that if they kill before you untap with it, uh, because you're, you're trying to play it on turn four, uh, then you're not getting any value out of it yeah. the same way you might get value out of like a hell rider that got to attack or, you know, some creature with an ETP ability that, uh, you know, generated a little bit of value. So yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not high on it, but I, I can see maybe in a, you know, a burn heavy red deck, maybe it's a fine curved topper. How do you feel about Ingenious Prodigy? Think we need to talk about this. This one? is one that I'm, uh, I'm sort of now uh, the the jury's still out on it for me. It's kind of it's intriguing, you know. X and a blue zero one human wizard. It has skulk, so creatures can't be blocked. Uh, you know, it can't be blocked by creatures with greater power. It enters the battlefield with X plus plus one counters on it. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if it has one or more plus plus one counters on it, you can remove one of them. If you do, you draw a card. So. You know, you play it for, say, you know, uh, two and a blue is a two, three. You can you just kind of draw two cards off of it. But then you've got this oh one that doesn't really do a whole lot. So the question is, like, you've got this card that slowly generates some card advantage. It's like an Eon Chronicler. But with Eon Chronicler, once you were done drawing cards and it came off suspend, you had this big threat, you know, that was equal, cards equal to the power top is equal to the number of cards in your hand that could dominate the battlefield. Here, once you're done drawing the cards, you have an 0-1 that doesn't really do anything. So I think you've got to find ways to keep getting more counters on it and turn it it's, into a sort of card advantage engine, but that's a lot of work for just drawing an extra card a turn yeah. in a way that's pretty easy to disrupt. So like, the more I, I think about it, it, the more I'm kind of out on this card. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely off of it because like you need to do so much more along this card to keep it going and be real. Like you could play maybe like, you know, enchant the deck where like, you play this as like a one or two, so you draw a card, and you start putting you know, stuff onto it, and it does stuff from there. And like, yeah, that's like a cheap threat that you can do cool things to. Like, you know, imagine playing this on turn one of the zero one. Turn two, you like suit it up in some way. You put some enchantment on that puts plus some, some counters on it every turn or something like that. And like you're attacking, your opponent can never really block it. You're drawing cards off of it. And then like there's a turn where you like suit it up really big. I don't know, man. It's just, it's just so much work. 
All right. Next, we have a Fairy Noble and Lady of Laughter. It's three white, white for a four or five flyer. At the beginning, it has celebration. At the beginning of your end step, if two or more Novelman permits enter the battlefield under your control's turn, draw a card. Five mana, four or five flyer. This is a lot. Uh, this costs a lot for this kind of effect. Um, obviously, very, very good limited. I'm not sure I can see this one being in standard because this feels like a win more card to me. Unless you just have like this whole deck that does all kinds of like this keeps putting a ton of permanents into play. But yeah, I'm not seeing it super hard with this card. Yeah, I think it's too hard to get turn celebration on for this card. Um, you know, once you once you've cast it on turn five, presumably you've set up to where some other permanent entered and you're able to, you know, draw the card on your end step immediately, get your value. At that point, you're probably just trying to like end the game with your big flyer. I, it's not the kind of card where I'm going to try to sit around and just turn it into an engine where I'm drawing a card a turn. You know, you're, you're, it's probably the top end of an aggressive deck. Maybe there's mid range decks that can use it with like, um, uh, I guess F Fable's been banned in standards. So, um, you can't use it with that. But it does, like, Celebration is a lot easier with Fable. <laughs> All right. Next we have, uh, Lich Knight's Conquest. This is the kind of card that sometimes, like, sneaks up on me because, like, I know you like this kind of effect sometimes. It's four and black for sorcery. Sacrifice any number of artifacts, enchantments, and or tokens. Return that many creature cards for your graveyard to the battlefield. The only problem I see with this card is if you're somehow putting a bunch of creatures into your graveyard that you want to get back. How many ways do you have to make artifacts, enchantments, and tokens that are, you know, like, there's just a ton of stuff. Like, it, it's it's going to be a little bit of a stress on your deck building, but, like, this is a card that if you make this work, it could be powerful. Yeah, you know, you, you play it alongside things like Gilded Goose and Blood Tithe Harvester uh, and, and things like that, and suddenly yep. you, you you might have some sort of, like, sacrifice deck where this is your this combo really finish. Fun. Yeah, this does work really well with blood. Yeah, for yeah, sure. it works well with bloods. It works well with mayhem devil, where you can, you know, with woe strider things like that. So it's this is sort of like a going to be in a sacrifice deck that is more sort of combo oriented, uh, which I think is really cool. Uh, there's definitely potential here. It's a very powerful, powerful effect. Note that the sacrifice is part of the resolution of the spell, not the cost. So you'll cast this card for five mana, and all your stuff stays on the battlefield if they counter it. And if they let it resolve, you immediately get to sacrifice stuff and return everything. They they have to do, you know, they have to do they have to do whatever they're gonna do in response before they find out how many things you're sacrificing and what you're returning. So you have a little bit of advantage there in casting it. It's harder to break up. I, I think this card is very powerful. It's I think one of the better build around cards in the set. Yeah. All right. Uh Lightness Looter is up next. Blue and a black for Fairy Shapeshifter 1 1 flyer. Uh, tap, draw a card, discard a card. <laughs> Flavorful. <laughs> X. Uh, this becomes a copy of target creature card in greater of mana value X. If heaven has flying and this ability, activate only as a sorcery. This is one of my least favorite fairies in the set. You know, among the ones that are priced for constructed. Because it just has, you know, pretty weak stats. Obviously the idea is that like, you discard some bigger creature and then you can make this a copy of it. But I just... You have to do everything at sorcery speed, you know, in particular the, the last ability. So I think your opponents are just going to see this coming from a mile away and be able to play around it pretty effectively. And the matchups where your opponents aren't going to have the interaction are the ones where you're they're like hyper aggressive. And so you're just not going to have time to set up something like that. So I'm out on it, although it's probably utterly absurd and limited. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right, Lord Skitterer Sewer King, one of the black. Uh, sorry, there's two, there's two of these. My bad. Lord Skitterer's Blessing is first. One of the black enchantment. Uh, when this enters the battlefield, free we can roll token attach to our creature control. The beginning of your draw step. If you control an enchanted creature, you lose one life and you draw an initial card. I've heard a lot of people say this is two mana for Xian uh, Arena. Get out of here with that. There's so much to this card that has to make this go right. Um, I can see this maybe being okay in Commander. In Standard, if your opponent's interacting with you at all, I see this card as a liability more than a than a advantage most of the time. Um, I think it's pretty easy to make the interaction your opponent will use to uh, make this card ineffective, to make it, it bad. You know, if you play a one-mana 1-1 one, one that makes another creature when it dies, and there's one of those in this set, it makes a, it makes a rat token, right? If you play that on turn one into this, suddenly your opponent has to kill your Doom Traveler, or you're drawing a card every turn, or they then have to kill your, you know, the Blessing itself, and then you still have the Wicked Roll token. Um, and then it's not that hard to, like, find a couple other incidental enchantments to turn it back on. So I kind of like this card in index. I think it's good index with a lot of one-mana creatures, a lot of creatures that match up well against spot removal, and it's generally a sideboard card against heavy removal decks. I wouldn't really want to play this in an aggro mirror. So it feels like a, a niche sideboard card for a niche range of decks, but it can still have a role in Constructed somewhere. All right, let's see about what the, the Rat King himself is. Lord Skitterer, Sewer King, Rat Noble, two and a black, three, three, legendary creature. Whenever another rat enters the battlefield, you control exile up to one target card from opponent's graveyard. At the beginning of combat in your turn, uh, create a one, one black rat creature token with this creature can't block. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's a rat card. Like, like I, I'm sure you're going to say something about like, how you, th you think this can, like, make it somewhere. It's fine. It does, you know, do some incidental uh, graveyard hate. Which I think is fine. It makes extra yeah. bodies. Um, I think this works fine. I mean, if you think about if your opponent doesn't have the removal spell for it immediately, you're paying three mana for a three three and a one one. You get the incidental graveyard hate, and you're pumping out an additional one one every turn after is, that. Is graveyard trespassers is graveyard trespassers still legal? Yes. I'm not sure. I could see people playing this over trespasser, but maybe probably not in a typical just like mid range deck. But in a deck that's taking advantage of those tokens, whether it's because it's rat-themed or you're a sacrifice deck, you know, then I can see Lord Skitter being better because you're making use of the body. So, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, in the abstract, it is, in a vacuum, it is worse than Graveyard Trespasser because that uh, ward ability on the Trespasser is just so strong. Uh, but this card will, you know, it is in Trespasser's, you know, realm. It's yeah. in the same ballpark as that card. Uh, and I, I'm I'm a fan. Normally, cards like this are not three threes. It's normally sure. like a two two or a two three, and you're you're not quite getting enough power to, for it to be worthwhile. But this one has significantly better stats, being a three three. So uh, I like it quite a bit. Mm. The next card seems like a U card, so I'm let you go with it. Uh, Malevolent Witch Knight. So that's four black black for a five four Dragon Warlock, and is flying. And whenever Malevolent Witch Kite enters the battlefield, sacrifice any number of artifacts, enchantments, and or tokens, then draw that many cards. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels a little like Korvald, right? This is your, like, high-end big threat. You draw a bunch of cards from your, you know, uh, from whatever you have lying around. The issue is it's probably worse than Korvald, and I don't know, like, what formats where you're, or what kind of decks you would play this in, but you don't have access to Korvald if you're just, you know, Maybe if you're just Golgari or something like that, obviously standard. So 
this could be the top end in a sort of sacrifice deck in a standard environment for sure. Um, but, you know, uh, another standout limited card because it limited, if this draws one or two, it's amazing. And it, it won't be that hard to have some roll tokens lying around or some blood or treasures or whatever that is, you know, we just make a million of those these days. We spoke about Titans a little bit earlier. Uh, Wake Up Ross, new great Titan just dropped. Uh, Ogre Chittered Lord. This is four red red for a creature over warrior. It's a six five with menace. When it airs a battlefield or attack, straight two, one, one black rat tokens with this creature can't block. Then if you control five or more rats, rats you control get plus two plus oh until end of turn. Um, yeah, like it, it's that typical type creature. Like it's a big thing that makes a bunch of bodies, adds a bunch of power to the board. It's also got menace. Like, um, yeah, limited all star. Obviously, a lot of these cards will be, um, maybe in constructed, like you know, if you find the right deck for it, but like this does a lot of stuff and. If the board is gummed up enough that like you have to play this, maybe attack with it once when you play your next one, they're about to get attacked by a lot of little shitty rats. Yeah, I think this card really hinges on how often you're able to turn on the last part of that trigger and pump your rats. Obviously, if the Cheddar Lord lives, you know, you play it, you get two of them, next turn you attack, you get two more. Now you're at four. So you needed to have some other rat on the battlefield to get to five. One extra rat is not that much to ask. So I think if you have enough rats in your deck, this is a great top end card um, that really, you know, ends the game in a hurry. It's great post sweeper. It's not quite Grave Titan. You know, one ones that can't block are a lot worse than two two zombies. So when they kill the Chitter Lord, it doesn't leave behind nearly as much material on the battlefield and nearly as much relevant material. But as a top end card, it still should be pretty formidable. Uh, I think you mispronounced the last word in this card. It's uh, Shitter Lord, Ross. Just say so yeah. Okay, I'll uh, I'll make sure it's sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Not take that into account. I'm sorry. All right, Pollen Shield here. One in white for a rabbit. It's a two-two. It says creature tokens you control get plus one plus one. Uh, hair rising is the adventure. God, love the the puns in the set. One green mana sorcery. Target creature you control gains vigilance and gets plus X plus X until the turn. Or X is the number of creatures you control. If you have a creature token deck, this is a card for you. you yeah, can do some. You can do some stuff with it. Other than that, that's because it. A, that effect typically has not been the effect of the adventure of that yeah. pump effect has typically not been good enough by itself. But when it's attached to you know one of your anthem effects, now it's sort of coming along for free, and it can be quite useful at attacking planeswalkers or you know dealing the finishing blow to an opponent. Uh, you know, so. Uh, I like this card if there is a token deck, of course. You know, outside of that, completely unplayable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one, card I kind of like. This is Questing Druid. One in green, wherever you cast a spell that's white, blue, black, or red, so not a green spell. That's not colorless. Put a plus and plus go on the counter on Questing Druid. It's a 1-1, one, one, by the way. I didn't say that. Uh, it's got an adventure. Seek the Beast. One red, one in a red, instant. Exile the top two cards of your library until your next... In step, you may play those cards. So, a uh, huge upgrade here. We see like rings resolve and stuff actually get played in some decks. That kind of card, the one in red, uh, sorcery. This one's an instant, by the way. That XL2 got cards your library to play them. This one comes with a body attached to it. That is that. Cla- what was the uh, name of the druid that did this back in the day? It was a uh, Quirion Dryad. Quirion Dryad. So, yeah. So it's literally Quirion Dryad. Yeah. 
Um, what else you got? Look, this card hasn't been good enough in a long time, but like this one's kind of cool, Ross, and I want it to be good. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of value. You know, getting a, a, a not light of the stage, but like reckless impulse as an adventure spell, so you're effectively getting three cards out of it is really nice. It curves a little awkwardly because obviously the you know questing druid, just like query dried, you want to play on turn two so you can start getting counters on it. Here you have to you know play the adventure. Presumably you can then play questing druid on turn three, you know, and hopefully have like land plus one drop, you know, in your exile and uh, do everything nicely. But a lot of time you're going to cast the uh, reckless impulse, play the cards you found off of impulse on turn three, and then have the druid lying there on turn four, still unused and uncast. And it might be a little awkward to cast it at that point. Um, not to mention, like, reckless, we've sort of learned over the years that Reckless Impulse and Light of the Stage are at their best when you hold on to them until you were able to, you know, a lot of people play them too aggressively because they use it to make land drops, and then they end up not getting full value out of it. Whereas if you just curve out normally, play a higher land count deck, and then, you know, use it as your, your refuel card once you're out of resources, you end up maximizing its potential more consistently. With this card, you kind of want to play it the adventure side out early so you can get the Questing Druid down. So there's a little awkwardness that gives me pause with this card, but I, like you, really want it to be good, so I'm placing all of my hopes and dreams into it. Speaking of placing all your hopes and dreams into it, uh, I'm doing that in the next card, because I think this is one of the sleeper cards that said this card is very good. Same. Uh, Raging Battle Mouse, and like I said, I think there's going to be some uh, Mice Tribal, possibly, in the future, so that's the thing. This is one red for a creature mouse. It's a 2-1. The second spell you cast each turn costs one less to play. Also, Celebration. At the beginning of your combat on your turn, if two or more non-land permits enter the battlefield under your control this turn, target creature you control gets plus one plus one until end of turn. So, you're going to play this. Your next spell costs one less, so like turn three, you can play this into a two-drop or whatever. Um, start buffing stuff up. Playing a second copy of this buffs up a lot of the stuff. Can you imagine playing this on turn two? Then on turn three, you're like, you know, play a two-drop and another two-drop that like haste in some way, or like Play a two drop How plus or removal spell on your opponent's creature. It's going to lead to a lot of snowbally red starts. Like on the play, I think this card is just so damn good. It'll be good on the draw too. Yeah, I can imagine curving um, Kumano faces Kakazan into this card. It's now a three two, and then on turn three, you have the Kumano enter, and you're able to like play a burn spell on their blocker, then play like a Godric, and you have Celebration on. And suddenly you have, you know, the 2-2 two, two Haster, the 3-2 Battle Mouse, the 4-4 four, four, Godric, and you've got the plus one plus one trigger from Battle Mouse's Celebration, and uh, you know, you've you killed a blocker of theirs. It's like an incredible curve out. Um, and the card also just like goes really well in multiples. Suddenly your second spell costs like way less to cast. If you go turn two Mouse, turn three uh, Mouse, now you have one land left over. You can play a three drop. You yeah, know, something else, two in a red, and really pull ahead on your opponent. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of this one. I expect it to be a staple in red aggressive decks moving forward. Next, we got Wrinkles Prank as a sorcery, two black black. Choose one or more. Each player discards two cards. Each player loses four life. Each player sacrifices two creatures. So, this is like bartering blood with some other abilities, but like, you're just going to need a very specific deck and specific situations for this to be very, very good. This card, you have to you have to try really hard for this card. So it should be something I'm not going to mess around with. I'll let someone else figure it out, and then if it's okay, I'll figure it out from there. Um, so 
obviously, if you spend your first couple turns playing out non-creature permanents, and then you play this on turn four, you can choose, you know... Uh, my goal with this card is to choose the discard and the sacrifice mode and get four of my opponent's cards and hopefully not have to discard the full two because I've done a bunch of other stuff. Um, and then I can recover faster than they can. So uh, it's an interesting card to me, but yeah, one that will take a lot of work. And I'm, I'm guessing that it won't make it because I think the decks that will want to use the sacrifice two creatures mode are decks that generally keep cards in their hand. And so they can't effectively use the each player discards two cards mode. And so when you can't really use multiple modes of this card, it becomes pretty mediocre. Yeah, right there with you. All right, Red Cap Gutter Dweller. Two red red for a Goblin Warrior, 3-3 three, three of Menace. When it enters the battlefield, create two black creatures, I'm sorry, black rat creatures that can't that can't block. The tokens that we've seen a lot. Sorry, I just like very much failed at that sentence. I don't know why. My brain just stopped working. Uh, the beginning of your upkeep, you may sacrifice another creature. If you do, put a plus plus encounter on the uh on red cap gutter dweller. Excel the top row of your library. You may play that card this turn. I kind of I kind of like this when it gets on Apple that Ross in that like sacrifice vein. This like keeps your deck going. I think this card is awesome because you play it and your opponent is immediately incentivized to kill it. Otherwise, you're going to be able to start attacking, sacrificing rats, drawing extra cards. But when they immediately kill it, you still have the two rats left over. Yes, so I, you're, you're fine making that trade. The The rats can't block, which is annoying. A lot of the times, you know, cards of this ilk like uh, Siege Gang Commander and Cloud Goat Ranger have been very good defensive cards when they need to be. Uh, Red Cap Gutter Dweller is very clearly, a, you know, I, an aggressive card, but I think it is a great curve topper for aggressive decks. Like, I think this this one is much better than, say, um, the the four mana four four Imidane that we we saw earlier. Uh, I, I I'm I'm a fan. This is, I was all all right. Another card here that's going to be one of the better cards in the set. Possibly this is going to be a lot of hype. Regal is it? Bunicorn? Bunnycorn? 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 Uh, uh, I'm dumb. Of course it's Bunnycorn. All right, Wonder Light Rabbit Unicorn. Uh, it has power and toughness equal to the number of non-land permanents you control. So it's a 1-1 one, one that you played on turn 2, but not anything else. And then it just keeps growing as you do more and more. And we see in the set, there's a lot of ways to do multiple things in a turn, make multiple creatures in a turn. Um, this is a card that really rewards you for playing the battlefield, and it's going to be very hard for your opponent to deal with in combat. Uh, yeah, and uh, the fact that it's going to count all of your treasures and food and blood and your auras and you know your portable holes and glass caskets things like that will all get counted it, uh it's pretty easy to see this card being a 4-4 and bigger consistently and uh, you know that in a standard environment should be quite good <laughs> yeah so this card's gonna be good yeah yeah i'm i'm in on the unic on the bunny corn i assume you know it's not just white aggressive decks that will be interested in a card like this. There will be mid-range decks that are able to play all that white, you know, the white permanent base removal and are making those tokens that end where Bunnicorn ends up just being gigantic. <laughs> uh, next card is my nickname in most of my fantasy baseball leagues, Rotisserie Elemental. Uh, one red, if anyone gets that, you're my friend now. All right, one red for a creature elemental, one, one. It is Menace. Uh, whatever deals combat damage to a player, put a skewer counter on it. Uh, then you may sacrifice. If you do, XL the top X virtual library, X is the power, or I'm sorry, the number of skewer uh, counters on Chisoma. You may play those cards this turn. So a little like Bomac earlier, 
you know, kind every of every trade you attack, you you get a counter under it, and then when you're you know ready to uh, cash it in, you, you draw a bunch of extra cards. That said, rather than drawing the cards, and you can then cast them at your leisure, you exile them, and you can only play them that turn. Not as good. It limits the you know your ability to maximize all of them. The other issue is rotisserie elemental has to connect. The sacrifice is part of the trigger once it deals combat damage to a player. Normally with Bomac Courier, you were playing it in your aggro deck, attacking with it every turn until your opponent had enough defense to stop it, and then you would cash it in for whatever cards you had under it. Rotisserie Elemental, you kind of have to anticipate when you think, oh, am I not going to be able to attack next turn? I should probably cash it in this turn, but maybe I don't really want to because I have some other stuff I want to do, or I want to get you know as many counters as I can get onto it, so... It's a lot harder to maximize this card, so yeah. I'm kind of low on it, even though it has good Same. pedigree, given Same. that Bowman Courier was a constructed staple. Next to the card I hope is good, Ross, this is Scalding oh, Viper. my favorite card in the set. Yeah, Scalding Viper. One in a red, Elemental Snake. It's a 2-1. Whenever an opponent casts a spell with mana value 3 or less, Scalding Viper, de- Scalding Viper deals 1 damage to that player. It's got an adventure, Steam Clean. Got a lot of these adventure names on the way. One in a blue sorcery adventure, return target non-land permanent to its owner's uh, this is a decent blue-red card in the fact that, like, both ends kind of work. Uh, I want this card to be good at Ross really badly, because I, I like this card. I, I love everything about it. Yeah, um, I, it's just, I, you know, we, we both love our, like, dopey is-it cards sure. that <laughs> are a little underpowered, but they have a lot of options and trickiness to them, yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I love, you know, one of my favorite things to do with Snapcaster Mage back when it was in Standard was just cast it on turn two. <laughs> and start attacking. You mean uh, Ambush Viper? Yes. My actual favorite was to cast it on turn two in Flashback Gataxian Atta- Probe, but, uh, you know, when you played it on turn two and your opponent wasn't really expecting you to, and they, like, look at you weird, but then it ends up dealing ten damage, it was just great. You know, Scalding Viper is very much in the vein of just, you know, I get a little bit of marginal value here and there, and your opponent's not really worried about it, but at the end of the day, it kind of adds up. Um, I'm not sure what kind of home it goes into, uh, honestly, Scalding Viper is probably just going to end up as like a two-drop in red aggro decks that use some sort of card to incidentally splash the adventure, right? That's probably where it ends up, which will be disappointing to both of us. Yeah, but we can we can dream of a, a cool is it deck. I will always dream of it. Since all the lost lore of talking about last episode, uh, Sleep Cursed Fairy is a one blue mana fairy wizard creature. It's a three three for one blue. It's got flying war two. It enters the battlefield with three stun counters on it, and you can pay one of the blue to untap Sleep Cursed Fairy. Yeah. Uh, and it just tapped with those stun counters. Right. So, you know, you play it on turn one, it's tapped as three counters. On turns two, three, and four, it doesn't untap. And instead, you remove those three counters. And then and finally, on turn five, you can start attacking with it. But if you just pay the mana on, like, say, turn two, now you're attacking with it on turn four. Hey. I, I I like this card. It, it's it feels very much like a suspend creature, you know. So it's pretty cool that you can like play it, have the three three there. It's gonna naturally go away. Obviously, it's really good if you get early in the game. But you can like hold up interaction or flash threats because you're fairy, yeah. so you hold up like a removal spell, a counter spell, or whatever, and like they don't do anything or you don't need to. You're like okay, like put some money into my fairy, some money, put some mana into my fairy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, untap it a turn sooner. And yeah, I can see it. And also, once once the stun counters are gone, it still has the untap ability. You know, you can attack with it, and it's still threatening yep. to just untap and block on your opponent's turn, and it's a pretty decent-sized body. So it's a card that really helps you control combat. It helps you turn the corner. It's a very fairies kind of card, 
also one of my favorite cards in the set. So I, I think if there's a fairy deck that's competitive in standard, this will be a four of in that deck without a doubt. Next is Song of, I'm going to try to pronounce this, Totentans? Totentans. Sure, sure. sure. All right, X and a red, sorcery, create X, one, one, black rat creature tokens with this creature can't block, creatures you control, get haste on turn. So this is fireball for creatures, but they get to stay around after that turn, so they have haste. Um, I can maybe see this as like a one of or two of decks that just won a bunch of creatures, and then it, like, it can randomly be a finisher at the end of games. Like, they're like Wrath, you're like, oh, tap, attack you with five rats, or whatever, you know, like, and they're still there, and you have to deal yeah, with that again. Is this card better than Shivan Devastator? Um, so it's, it's, it's two different things. Like, uh, the Shivan Devastator is, is the X and a red flying haste creature. Yeah. So, like, so it's it like just one threat that goes tall. This is all threats that deck. go wide, it but it's the same deck. sort of blaze kind of effect, right? It just depends on your deck too. If like your deck is benefits from going wide at all in any way, it's good. Or yeah. if like the rats matter, like, you know, we talked about the rare earlier. If like, if you have X rats interplay, they get plus yeah, two. Yeah. Give them plus this two. Can, oh, Jesus. This can kill people with that yeah. card. So. But that card should kill them anyway. That like yes. that's the six it's, drop. It's very much win more. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, uh, but if you have any any other sort of anthem, like if you're playing, you know, you could play like a Naya token deck with the hair, and see if you have the hair in play. Suddenly, all of these rat tokens are two twos. <laughs> that seems pretty cool. I'm, a, I'm in. I'm in on this card if we have anthems, and the, it shouldn't okay. be that hard to to have some anthems around. Yeah. They're not bad. You can make this cheaper with the uh, the card that makes this, you know, the second spell you play one cheaper. You're like, okay, like get the extra rats, yeah. do a bunch of stuff, whatever. It, this card is also good at turning on Celebration. Yes. You know, anytime you cast a Rex equals two or more. So yeah, there's some other subtle synergies that it does. It, it does seem a little bit more than Shivan Devastator. Okay. So uh, I'm higher, just thinking about it, I'm a little higher on this card than I was, sure. you know, 30 seconds ago. Next, you have Spectre of Morality. Three black black for a 3-3 three, three flyer. When it enters the battlefield, and the exile one or more creature cards from your graveyard. When you do, each other creature gets minus one. I mean, sorry, minus X, minus X. Where X is the number of cards exiled this way. Uh, this can be a pretty cool creature in some spots, uh, especially against decks that are making a bunch of you know one ones like we were just talking about in two twos. You can like play this, remove a couple creatures from your graveyard, semi board wipe your opponent, and you still have this like three three flyer left over. Yeah, this is another one of those mid range cards that's very yeah. good against aggro decks. So that, yeah. that's where I see it. Feels um, like maybe, Massacre Girl, kind of. You know, yeah, like, maybe that makes it more of a sideboard card. Uh, because it's going to be pretty weak against, you know, more controlling strategies or yeah. ramps decks that are going over the top of you. Um, because it's basically just a 5-mana 3-3 three, three flyer in those matchups. But in the matchups where that, you know, we're giving minus 1, minus 1, or minus 2, minus 2 is going to really hamstring your opponent and leave you relatively unscathed, uh, I think this card could do a lot of work. Yep. Next, Spellbook Vendor, one in a white for a human peasant, 2-2 two, two, Vigilance. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you may pay 1. When you do, create a Sorcerer Roll Token attached to the target creature you control. Uh, that gives it plus 1, plus 1 whenever the creature attacks. Scry 1. Um, the human for 2 two mana for a 2-2 two, two Vigilance that has a possible ability. If there's like a light deck, I could see this making it into like a white aggro deck. That's about it for me, though. It does I, enchant I, your stuff over and over again, though. We've seen some synergies that might work with that. Yeah, it feels very Luminarch Aspiranty, <laughs> and it, you can just cast it on turn yeah, two. You're right. So, yeah, you can play this card on turn three and immediately use it and pay for the trigger. Um, so it fills different spots in the curve. It helps you use excess excess mana. Helps you, you know, if you were ever pump an evasive threat, if you're ever to pump, you know, a card that can now attack that didn't. You're not only getting one extra damage in, you're getting you know, a lot more than that. 
you know, with, with vendor on turn three, you can put it on your two drop maybe so so it can actually attack. The extra scries have a lot of value. I think this card's actually really good. And then and that's it. Also, you know, turns on celebration a lot very easily because every turn you basically get an extra permanent for one mana. Uh, so if you have any sort of celebration cards, it works really well. If you're taking advantage of auras in any way, like this card obviously plays really well with the two mana double anthem. You know, this is though those two <laughs> those two are a combo. So I, I man, I think I overlooked this card when I first read through uh, the the set list. This card seems excellent. I, I just envision it doing so many little things. Yeah, the more the more I'm thinking about, it, the more we're talking about it, the more I'm really yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. All right, next spiteful hex mage, one black mana, human warlock, three two. When it enters the battlefield, create a cursed roll token attached to our creature control that makes it a the creature a one one. Yes. So uh, presumably, when you play it on this, now you've got only got a one one. Um, if you can somehow sacrifice that roll in some way, then you know you've t- turned into one one mana three two. So. I'm intrigued by this card, but I don't think there's any two mana ways to uh, to deal with it. I guess the other ways to deal with it are to put another roll on it, because when you put a new roll on a creature, you you sacrifice all the other ones. So if you played Spite Flags Mage with Spellbook Vendor and just said, "Oh, I'll put a you know Sorcerer roll on my Hex Mage," now I've got a four three. That's a pretty that's pretty cool. I'm yeah, into absolutely. that. Did we talk about Sir Ginger the Mealender? Because it's a card I we liked. did. We did last week. We did. Okay. So Talon's Messenger is next. Two in a blue, very noble, flying 1-3. Whenever you attack with one or more fairies, draw a card, then discard a card. If you ever discard a card, it's like it doesn't put on account of one target fairy you control. Um, I mean, if there's a fairy deck, I could see people playing this. That's about it for me. I think it's fine. This is the other fairy I like. I think, you know, just I, by it, itself, it's like oh, a three-mana 1-3 three flyer that when it attacks, it gets you loot and you get a plus and plus one counter. That's pretty good. It's attacking as a 2-4 flyer. If it attacks twice, it's a 3-5, and you've gotten two loots out of it. Uh, and then, obviously, in the fairy deck, you can immediately trigger it with some fairy you played on turn 1 or 2. Uh, you can start spreading the counters around, putting them somewhere else. It works really well in multiples, and it's not a legend. Uh, to me, the Talon's Messenger and Sleep Cursed Fairy are the the, the hallmarks of the fairy deck. Those are the cards that are going to have to do the heavy lifting if that deck is going to be competitive in standard yeah i guess the biggest thing for me is i'm just not seeing that deck being competitive in standard so i'll probably just lower on fairies that i should be it's probably yeah, the I, thing for I me i could definitely see that like that you know that the, the deck just isn't good enough there's clearly yeah. nothing like bitter blossom you know yeah uh, that we used to have there's not there's, the same mana fixing because we don't yeah. have like secluded glen there's not like um, scion of una and all that other like yeah, all the like but, really i'm actually not that high on the black cards in fairies like really just the removal spell yeah. uh, i like so I think if there's a fairy deck, it might just be mono blue. Okay. All right. Next, we've got Tangled Colony. It's a rat for one in the black. It's a three-two. It can't block, and it would dies create X one-one black creature tokens where that can't block, where X is the amount of damage dealt to it this turn. Um, I think this is a card that can definitely. So it's a three-two that can't block for one in the black, right? So if you're yeah. like an aggressive black deck, this card is fine, right? there's a lot of other ways here like and some matchups is going to be pretty good the fact that it can't block though makes it kind of harder to like trigger the ability you know the red decks don't have to move it out of the way they can just attack around it but if you're in like a bunch of creature matchups this is a card that could be okay and if like you have sweepers in your own deck to deal damage like this is okay it just it feels like you need a lot to go right for this card to be really good 
I agree. I think it's too hard to actually get value out of the dice trigger. Either your opponent's going to have removal that doesn't that isn't damage based, or they're just going to ignore it because yeah. you can't force a trade with it just by leaving it untapped as a blocker. So, to me, it, it's just so often just going to be a two mana three two that both players ignore. And yeah, if you get ahead and like force them to use a removal spell on it, and they only have red removal, it, it looks good. Maybe if there's a a metagame at some point during its lifetime in standard where the most common sweeper is damage based. It could be good, uh, but it's going to need a very specific metagame with a lot of red removal in it uh, in order to be effective. Is because it? you just otherwise you're not getting value off of that die trigger that often. Next, we have the Apristus Folly. It's two blue and a red saga for chapters one and two. Choose target non-token creature you control that doesn't have the same name as a token you control. Create a token that's a copy of it, except it isn't legendary. It's a reflection in addition to its other types and has haste. And the third one is sacrifice all reflections you control. So cards like this, generally, I just kind of gloss over them because it's not really my cup of tea. It's not really my thing to do. I think this is a hell of a commander card. Like, hell of a commander card. Like, this is going to kill people in end games and stuff possibly as well because you're going to combo off like crazy as much as the fact that it makes a non-legendary version of that card. So you can have two of your commander or whatever in play. And it has haste, so it does all the dumb stuff. So I could see this card doing stuff there for sure. Yeah, but in competitive formats, it just yeah. needs so much to to go right. You need to have yeah. the, the good thing to copy on the battlefield. Your opponent doesn't have the removal spell at all. You only get it for the one turn, so this is supposed to be a, you know the finishing blow. But it, you know if your opponent is not answering anything you're doing up the curve to four mana, you you could use a lot of other things as a finishing blow that are going to be more consistent. Next, we have the end. Two black black for an instant. This spell costs two less to cast if your life total is five or less. Exile target creature or planeswalker searches controller's graveyard hand and library for any number of those, any number of cards with the same name as the permanent you exile. Uh, that player shuffles then draws a card each way for each card exiled from their hand. Um, I kind of like this card, Ross. Like it's it's a it's a four mana instant that exiles a creature or planeswalker. We've already seen that massively playable in standard in the past. Yeah, Vraska's Contempt. Yeah, I mean, gaining two life is, a, you know, whatever. Yeah, but there's here a lot of... you get your value out of the ex the you know, right. free extraction. Yeah. I do think this will be a solid one to play in small numbers. It's generally hard to play really expensive removal in high numbers, unless the format's really slow. Um, and But I'm, you know, just I... dealing with all of their shield druids, dealing with all so, of their, I'm, you know, I'm, key I'm pretty... walker. I'm pretty big on this card. The fact that like it answers all that kind of stuff, right? And yeah. it, it goes against all the other copies of their deck. So like you're taking win conditions away from them, especially if it's like a card you're not very good against or like taking all their planeswalker or if you hold it or some be a big thing that's going to be a problem as the game goes on. It's cheaper when you're losing, which is nice. You know, if I kind of deck and you're a little far behind, you get kind of like, oh, extra help on your mana. And I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of big on it. If, if a deck needs this kind of effect, I think this card's going to be pretty damn good. So we'll see. Yeah, I, th I think it'll show up. I don't think it'll show up in super high numbers, but it will show up frequently. It'll always yeah. be that card that rounds out your removal package right. in black. You can just take out that like one intricate card in certain matchups too. Where you're like, their deck is just like a lot worse. So they don't have this card for the rest of the game. Also, uh, there's a lot of dies triggers in standard of your creatures and stuff now, like, you know, creating value when they die. This just takes that away. Uh, did we talk about the Goose Mother? I've heard people talking. We, about we did not. Okay. This one is uh, X Green Blue for our legendary creature Bird Hydra. I, I don't know why it's a Bird Hydra and it's a Goose, but sure. 
uh, flying. The goose mother enters the battlefield at X plus one plus one counters on it. When yeah, it enters the battlefield, two two. Sure. When it enters the battlefield, create half X food tokens routed up. And then when it attacks, you may sacrifice a food if you do draw a card. So this is the new Hydra Crisis type thing. Yeah, so say you cast it for X equals 2, right? You'll have a 4-4 four, four flyer, because it's base 2-2, two, two, and it will enter with X counters. The 2 counters on a 2-2. Two, two. You'll also get one food token. So you'll have a 4 a 4 4 flyer, plus a food token, and when it attacks, you can sack a food and draw a card. So you'll get you know one card out of it if you can attack, maybe more if you generate more food later in the game. It's cool that you can just like play it on you know turn two as a two two, um, and, and just you know use it to curve out. Especially if you're making food with, in other ways, like if you go turn one gilded goose, turn two goose mother, uh, then you know s- suddenly you're attacking and drawing an extra card on turn three. Um, maybe if you know obviously there's a bunch of other ways to generate food as well. So uh, should be good in those decks, but it is just a solid standalone card mm-hmm. when, you, when you cast it for X equals four. Now you've got a 6-6 six, six flyer that makes two foods and you know you still get to attack and draw cards. So it, it's very well statted with base power 2-2. Two, two. Um, and that, I think, is going to help carry it. So, you know, uh, even if you're, uh, you know, even if you have to be defensive with it, you can just sit back behind the food, maybe gain some life with it and, and use it as a blocker. It's, you know, you can get aggressive with it as well. So it's a pretty versatile card. Uh, and it generates a little bit of value. I, I like I like this one. I don't really know where it fits, yeah. but I like it. Next you have the Huntsman's Redemption. This is a two and a green saga. Jumper one, create a three three beast token. Two, you may sacrifice a creature if you do search your library for a creature or basic land card. Reveal it, put it in your hand, shuffle. Three, up to two target creatures, you get plus two plus two and gain trample to the turn. I kind of like this card, Ross. Especially the stompy type deck. Uh or if you have a deck that like if creatures die, you can get any kind of value. Um, hard part is going to be getting value off every single chapter of this card always when you play this. But like, you get the three three right, so like that's fine. And then on turn, then chapter three, you're gonna pump two of your creatures. Which let's be real, if you go like Lamer Elf into this, and then like you know sacrifice the elf to go get a specific thing, and like keep going yeah, to something. get your four drop haste creature, you know your your questing beast or or similar kind yeah. of card. And then on you know turn four, you just pump the hate the four drop and your beast token. That that's a great card. Yeah. I think this card, you know, enables some really fast curve outs. Very good with Llanowar Elves, as you said. Yeah. Could potentially be in an, you know, a more aggro-focused Green Shell and Pioneer. Uh, I like this card a lot, too. I think it's just a, a very, very well-statted card. Yeah, the art's really cool, too. It has Garrick with the Chain Veil on top of him. It's, uh, it's yeah. pretty cool. And, uh, and the, talk- the green aggro decks have also yeah. always been really dependent on curving out, and this card yes. definitely helps you curve out. That's the big thing for me is that like you're going to be doing a lot of stuff every turn after you cast this. Like turn, you know, the your turn, th- you know, your turn after casting the first one. Once you get to your second and third chapters, it's going to be doing a lot of things. So I'm, I'm fine with that. We did the Iron Crag. Uh, three blind mice is two and a white saga. Uh, create a one chapter one. Create a one one white mouse creature token. Chapters two and three create a token that's a copy of target token you control. Chapter 4. Creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain vigilance to long turn. I can see this one making it in some of the white decks if you have enough token generators. Yeah, the it's issue is slow. that if you don't have another token in play and they just kill the 1-1, one, one, you're kind of shit out of luck. Yeah. So it's not really a standalone card for that reason, because it's going to be too vulnerable. That worries me, but in a dedicated token shell where you should have tokens okay. out, 
you know, you could play this with um, the the four drop black creature that has the adventure half of it. Sure. That you know makes a one one and a food that 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 adventure is actually an instant. So you know if you played this on turn three and your opponent wasted their turn to kill your one one to stop yep. you from getting value out of the later chapters, you can then for you know upkeep cast your you know yep. adventure. It copies yeah, devouring any token. sugar maw. Yeah, it copies any token by the way as well. Yeah, which is a so big you could deal. copy food or clues. Yeah. Uh, next, this is a big card for me. I'm a big fan of this. It pairs well with the. Uh, green Avenger card we were talking about earlier that like taps for mana and it has like the seven mana, you know, look at the top seven cards of your deck or whatever. This is called Thunderous Debut. Six blue blue sorcery. It's got bargain. Look at the top 20 cards of your library. You may reveal up to two creature cards from among them. If the spell was bargain, put the reveal cards onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put the reveal cards into your hand and shuffle. You need to bargain this card. Like, yeah. you, you, you need to bargain this card. But when you do, did I, did I say that it's eight mana? By the way, it's six green green. I don't know if I said the cast card, but what do you do? This is going to win games, <laughs> a lot of them. So I'm, yeah, I'm a fan. This is a good. That's a good high end card for sure. Yeah. Um, Even if you're just getting utility stuff, like maybe you don't have like a combo, but like you're in a green deck that does this kind of thing, and you're like get a Titan of Industry, get a Titan of Industry. You do all the things, like make a bunch of four fours, put some shield counters, gain ten life, do whatever, destroy a bunch of enchantments and artifacts and stuff. This card, yeah, this card's sweet. It is. It's very expensive. Eight mana is a lot. Yes, um, we're in green but, though, Ross. We're in green, so it's yeah. more like six or seven mana. So. I wonder if we can cast it and like cheat cast it somehow. That's what I'd be looking to do. Sure. All right. Uh, next, we got twinning twins. Uh, this is two. Yeah, so they're right. Twinning twins. Two blue blue. Fairy wizard four four. Flying vigilance ward one. It has a adventure. Swift spiral. One in a white instant. Exile target non-token creature returns to the battlefield under your owner's control at the beginning of the next hand step. Um, this is one of the ones. Yeah, this card's cool, but I'm just I had I had the same fairy problem that earlier that I did. So like this could be in a blue-white blinkish deck and be fine in that. Yeah, it's hard to like tap out for kind of an okay four-four. Uh, I don't know how much the ward one helps there, but uh, I'm not super high on this card. This is the kind of card that like would have been really good like ten years ago. And it has been sort of power crept out because the creature side is, you know, those stats aren't as impressive as they once were. All right, next we've got Weir Fox Bodyguard. One white white for an elf fox knight. Again, I, I can't wait for the red wall set. We're going to have like so much tribal stuff going on. All right, it's <laughs> one white for a 2 2 elf fox knight flash. Well, here's the battlefield XLO up to one other target non fox creature until this leaves play. All right, this leaves the battlefield. One of the whites, sacrifice it, you gain two life. So effect effectively a Banisher Priest with Flash that you can sometimes sack for two life. Um, that You can exile your own thing and like sacrifice the bodyguard if you just want a five-mana blink effect. You know, maybe that ends up being good. So important to keep uh, note of that kind of utility. But a Flash Banisher, Banisher Priest is pretty good because mm -hmm. it becomes a lot easier to protect um, you know, when you do it on your opponent's turn after they're tapped out, you get to then untap and maybe have some way to protect it so your opponent can't just immediately kill your bodyguard, get their creature back, and undo all of your hard work. So, uh, I I like this card quite a bit. I think it should see a significant amount of play. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we've got Wildwood Mentor, two and a green for a creature tree folk. It's a one one. Whenever it ends the battlefield near your control, put a plus one plus one counter on Wildwood Mentor. 
would ever get attacks, target another target attacking creature gets plus X plus X until in turn, or X is this creature's power. So it's it's a 2-2. Two -two. Um, when it attacks, it gives something else plus 2 plus 2, but you have any way to kind of like pump your creatures, this is going to make other stuff like really big very fast. I worry about it being relevant as a 3-mana 2-2 two -two that needs to attack for it to be good, and you have other creatures in play. Yeah, I think this is a card that just needs too much in yeah. order to be good. You know, you basically just need your opponent not to kill any of your stuff. And that's not something that you can reasonably rely on. So, yeah, that, you know, you'll probably see this card pop up on like somebody on your Twitter feed once because somebody did something ridiculous with it. Um, but, you know, don't let that fool you and think it's going to consistently do anything in that range. Uh, so, you know, this is a very high ceiling, low floor card. And I just see you hitting the floor a lot more than you get the ceiling. <laughs> sure. Uh, for the last rare, Yena, Red Tooth Reject. Two green white for 4-4 four, four elf noble. Uh, pay two, tap it. Choose target enchantment you control that doesn't have the same name as another permanent you control. Create a token that's a copy of it, except it isn't legendary. If the token is an aura, untap Yena, then scry to activate only as a sorcery. This is a lot. <laughs> this is probably too much for standard for like, you need, you need a bunch of stuff to go on, you need to have this thing untap, you need whatever. I have a feeling this is busted as hell in Commander, though. I would assume yeah, that you probably. can do some really dumb stuff. It's in a really good color combination as well, right? Green, white. Like, you could play an Enchantress deck in Commander and have this be your Commander. As, like, you know, your kind of go-off kind of thing. Because you have stuff like Concordant Crossroads. You know, you could play or start using your turn and just, like, go off. I'm sure you can make infinite mana or do infinite things very quickly with this card. I want to play it with things like Ossification and Chain to the Rocks which are auras, but they are auras that, you know, just essentially turn Yenna into two mana tap, kill your creature, and mm -hmm. then it untaps and you get to scry two. So in a deck where you're heavily relied on those kinds of removal spells, maybe Yenna could be a role player because it's still just a four and a four four. And if you just activate it once or twice for that kind of effect, I think you have a card that is excellent. But I'm also generally wary of decks that are overly reliant on enchantment-based removal, because your opponents can so easily just board in a chamber removable and ruin your day. Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a small chance, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about like I think at least one of the uncommons so about Edgewall in. I thought would be pretty good. Uh, there's a few other ones that are that are definitely gonna stick out. I'm going through them right now because I don't remember the names of them, so I'm trying to find them. Well, the first one that I always remember is Bitter Chill. Okay, let me go back to that one. So that's a one in a blue aura enchant creature. When Bitter Chill enters the battlefield, tap Enchanted Creature. Enchanted cre Creature doesn't untap during its control is on tap step. And when Bitter Chill is put to a graveyard from the battlefield, you may pay one. If you do, scry one, then draw a card. So we've seen this kind of effect as Blue's removal, but we've never seen it, it be this cheap and still always tap the creature. Is it? Uh, and then obviously on top of that, we have that little bit of values. If you have your mana up when they, you know, go to sacrifice the creature or do something else with it, uh, you can pay one and get a, an, another card out of it. So I think this one is, you know, they're, they've been sort of ratcheting up the power level of these effects over the last couple of years. And this is like the most pushed one we've seen so far should be excellent in limited, but I think it is priced well enough that you could see it mm -hmm. and construct it, especially if there is like a, a you know, a mono blue fairy stack. Like sure. I think there could be, that could be your removal spell. Another one for me, uh, Embrith veteran. This is a 1 red for a 2-1 human knight. Already pretty good, by the way. 1 red, 2-1 human knight. 
It does have pay one, sacrifice Emperor Veteran, create a young hero roll token attached to another target creature. Um, that one gives it whatever this creature attacks, if its toughness is three or less, put a plus and plus one counter on it. Yeah, so you get to play your 2-1 early in your aggro deck, attack a couple times, and then once they have some blockers and your 2-1 isn't that useful in combat, you turn it into a young hero, make another creature that can be useful in combat by almost sort of merging the two, right? Um, and so you, you you can get that last push in and, and finish off the game or put your opponent into the abyss, force them to start chump blocking. So should be a solid one drop for red aggressive decks. Uh, another one I think people talk about is, is fairy fencing. It's X and a blue. I'm sorry, X and a black instant. Target creature gets minus X, minus X until on a turn. That creature gets an additional minus three, minus three until on a turn if you control a fairy as you cast this spell. So if you're a fairy's deck, this is one black mana target creature gets minus three, minus three. And then yeah. otherwise, you know, it's just... That still scales up so you could answer a shieldred later in the game or other important threats. Yeah, it's still an instant as well, so lots of cool stuff to like there for sure. Yeah, that's like the only black fairy card that I'm really, uh, you know, tempted to add to a fairy deck in Constructed and Standard. Um, but it is a very, very good one. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the other ones here? I'll scroll through. I know there's the green card that we need to talk about for sure. Glass Casket has been reprinted as well in the set, which is which is big with a, a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. You know, exiling a lot of these early creatures and permanents is going to be good. Plus, it's a thing that stays in play for you to sacrifice or use later. Yeah, just you know, Glass Casket has been a solid standard level removal spell uh, in the past. I expect it will continue to do that. It's also quite good with Celebration. Those kinds of removal spells should actually go up in value in this new standard environment. Yeah, there's there's a couple after this that I, that I kind of want to point out. Uh, I think Greta Sweet Tooth Scourge is okay. It's one black green, legendary creature, human warrior, it's a 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, create a food token. You can pay one green, sacrifice a food, but also as a counter target creature. I'll activate all the sorcery. You can pay one in a black, sacrifice a food, you draw a card, and lose one life. This one I think is fine. I don't know if it'll make it, but it has the chance if there's like a green-black, put a bunch of permanents in play, make a bunch of food, do stuff like that. You know, sacrifice-type deck. Yeah, be pretty it, good. it very much feels like it's in the mold of uh, like Catacomb Sifter, a card that was very overlooked during previous season for its set, ended up being a key key player in a lot of other mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of decks. You know, Greta will just do a lot of things for decks that are trying to you know utilize food as an engine. Yeah, uh, the next one is a card I actually like a lot. Have you seen Hearth Elemental yet? I have not. All right, so this one is five and a red. It's an elemental for a four or five. This spell costs X less to cast, where X is the number of cards in your graveyard that are instant cards, sorcery cards, and or habit adventure. And then it's uh it's got an adventure as a sorcery, one in a red, discard your hand, then draw two cards. I'll use card a lot, Ross. I don't know, lots of like here. Late in the game, it's obviously just one in a red, draw two cards, or like you know, pitch the one last card you have in your hand, draw two cards, and then it's a four or five that could be played for a lot less mana in a deck where you're trading a lot of spells early. I visioned this in, like, say, you know, a blue-red deck like you and I like with a bunch of cheap interactive spells, and then the turn you, like, play this for super cheap, you have, like, a counter spell maybe held up, and you're hopefully ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering how the numbers exactly work. Like, you can't play one-mana spell, like a cantrip, into two-mana removal spell into this on three because it'll cost four mana with two spells in your graveyard. So that, that is... Uh, um, I think a mark against it, it doesn't sort of curve naturally. You're going to have to have a lot of one-mana spells so that you can play three instants or sorceries on the first two turns and then cast this for as a three-mana four-five on turn three. Um, that said, 
it could just be like you said that you're you're actually going to want to wait on it so that you can cast it for really cheap and hold up interaction, hold up a counter spell alongside it. You know, sort of like the way the Demir deck works in Popper right now. You know that, mm-hmm. that they they yes, play like exactly. Kermit Anklers and a bunch of Thought Scours and, and Mental Notes. So maybe there's a deck like that because we will have Sleight of Hand and Consider in Standard, right? Yep. Yeah. So you're going to have enough cantrips to maybe yeah. make a deck like that work. And consider works really well with this because it might put two. Yeah. So with Consider, you could potentially do that curve where you're like turn one Consider, turn two, use my red removal spell to kill your you know your first threat. Now I'll play this on turn three because I build over a spell with the Consider. Yep. Um, any of the other ones starting to any of the other ones jump at you real quick? I like the. I've been trying to look for the fairy counter spell, which I think is a common, but I've not. Right. Here, I got another one for us. Then, have you seen Ruby Daring Tracker? I have not. So it's red green, legendary creature, human scout. It's a haste with it's a one two with haste. When it attacks, while you control a creature power four or greater, it's plus two plus two until of turn, and you could tap it to add red or gray. Okay. So it like if you have like a red green kind of like monsters deck this this is a pretty decent card in the fact that you can play it the turn the turn you play it, it technically only costs one mana right like you get that rebate afterwards it's like you know playing a card that creates a treasure you can like keep going make more things um if you top deck it later in the game we already have something to play it's a three four haster for two mana which is pretty good and this like ramps you into your other stuff there's a, there's a lot to like about this card yeah and it's legendary right it is legendary so you could put it into a gruel class anything yeah, is our gruel class deck finally going to be good uh she'll ask me a lot Russ. <laughs> yeah, uh, I found the fairy counter spell. I, sure. I should have remembered this. The name is Spell Stutter. Sure, open the uh, makes sense. Yeah, w- one in a blue instant counter target spell unless its controller pays two plus an additional one for each fairy you control. So obviously, very easy for this card to just be mana leak or even better in the fairy deck, and that should be a really powerful counter spell for them. And it'll still counter things on turn two, even if you didn't play a fairy on turn one. Uh, you know, that's where the the. The points where you don't have a fairy are usually early in the game, and that's where having the additional pump, you know, the additional tax is least relevant. So it naturally sort of plays well with the normal texture of a game of magic, and it should be a very powerful counter spell for those decks. Another card a lot of people would talk about Stroke of Midnight, Tuna White Instant, Destroy Target, Non Land Permanent. Its controller creates a 1 1 white human token. I think I'm a little bit lower on this than most people, though I do think it's probably really good in Commander. The fact that, like, you could just destroy anything and you give a 1 1, like, cares. I'm not going to like this as much in standard, but I can see it, you know, making it into somewhere. Also, just the fact that it answers everything. Yeah. And, you know, the 1-1 one, one is probably not going to be that relevant. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, these days, 1-1s one, just really don't generally give you a lot of value, especially if you're playing this in a deck that does, isn't playing a lot of one toughness creatures itself, so that the 1-1 one, one isn't apt to trade for anything. Uh, it, it should be quite good. So uh, I'm high on it. Because I, I just think the difference between giving your opponent a 3-3 versus giving them a 1-1 is huge. You know, we have this natural aversion from years ago to, like, giving our opponent any kind of value. But these days, there's a, you know, there's a big difference between, margin, like, very little value and, you know, a real I mean, amount of value that they can trade for a card. And the 1-1 just is very, very little, very little value. All right, another one a lot of people talking about. Up the Beanstalk, one in the green enchantment, whatever enters the battlefield... And whenever you cast a spell with value 5 or greater, draw a card. Yeah, um, obviously it plays really, really well with the pitch elementals in Modern. You know, several of them cost f- uh, Solitude and Fury in particular, uh, cost 5 or more mana. Um, and it, so you can immediately start generating value. That'll compensate you for, you know, having to exile cards to evoke them. Uh, and the, the normally cards effects like this are really bad because when you draw them late, they don't do anything. 
so you need to have them early. But because this one cantrips itself, it's not bad to draw late. So you're mitigating a lot of the natural downside of uh, cards like this. Um, so I do think it is a solid card, but it are like how many cards are you going to expect to draw out of it in an average game? Like maybe you're going to trigger it twice after outside of the ETB, and that's pretty that's pretty nice. You know, you've effectively gotten a two mana draw three, but you've had to put in a good amount of work to do it. Um, so I'm not as high on this card as some of the hype appears, but I understand why the hype is there because okay. raising the card's floor is a big deal. Yep. Anything else, Joe? About you? I think we co basically covered it. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw some people talk about Ice Out. You know, the one, it's cancel, but you can bargain to make it counter spell. Meh. Yeah, I'm probably mad at that. Like, yeah, it's probably weaker than the other cancels that we already have. Yeah, sure, it'll be fine in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, I think that's about it for uh, for, for this. I'm sure we might have missed something, so let us know if we missed something for sure. But I think that's going to do it for us covering Wild uh, Builder. I almost said Toronto Builder. I almost said the yeah. old one creep in there. Yeah, it got some PTSD. It'll be, it'll be, it should be legal play by the time people are listening to this. Yeah, I'm so. excited about drafting this on Arena as well. I, I can't wait to play the set. I think I'm going to enjoy it quite a bit. We'll see. You know, I've said that before. I've been very wrong, but uh, I'm excited about it. And then we got a lot of standard coming up soon, Ross. So I'm hoping this has a big effect on it because this looks like the kind of standard that I'm going to like. Yeah. But we also have a modern SCG this weekend. Do you see any cards in this set making waves in the current modern format? Uh, I, I, I'm sure someone's going to try up the Beanstalk in like the, uh, like maybe not even the, it's pretty good with the elementals, obviously, yeah. and stuff. So like, it, which is in really the four sweet. color Omnath deck, maybe. Yeah. The fact that Omnath doesn't trigger it is kind of annoying, but like all your other stuff is pretty good. Um, And like you said, it does, it does, uh, what do you call it? It does, um, replace itself yeah it's really cool if you can kind of blink it in any kind of way shape or form which is you know there's there's just up there so i think maybe that card shows up i have to go back through the mythics uh what about you did you see anything uh, you thought was going to show so up we could see elusive otter in prowess decks you know the the yeah. unbanning of preordain has has juiced those decks a little bit um, um, i'd be i'd be worried of course in the world with uh um in the world of uh um, Bowmaster and Renin Six to play one toughness creature, but it's pretty easy to protect. It's easy to splash the adventure half of it. Um, so that's definitely a possibility. I don't see it a, a ton else. Uh, Besiege the Mirror might show up somewhere. There's like a chance. Yeah. It's like a really hyped card. I'm sure someone's trying to do something with it. It's definitely a powerful card. Maybe, maybe there's versions of the Coffers deck that that's are able point. to bargain it and. You know, maybe it's just more like tutoring for the lands that you need too. You, know, you don't even have to bargain it. Then you're just playing playing it as diabolic tutor some amount of the time, sure, and being okay with that. But um, normally those decks just have like really expensive spells. Like I guess they are playing Karn. So beseech the mirror uh, if you're able to bargain it can sort of yeah. become like Karn's five through eight. So uh, is that this weekend? You said coming up. Yep. So I might be doing coverage of the event for Anu. Like he's doing coverage of the thing. Yep. And he's trying to find people that are playing the new cards. So if you want to <laughs> see if Modern gets affected by some of the new cards, there you go. If you find someone with like a new deck that has a bunch of the new cards, he's thinking about doing like the Reed Duke type thing where he'll follow them as long as he can. So that'll be cool. If you like uh if you like the new cards in the new set, you want to see something cool, check out Anu's coverage. Is uh I don't think we're allowed to call it backpack streams anymore because it's very much transcendent. Yeah, it's, he has uh he has raised his game quite a bit in yeah. the I think he's only been doing it for like a year and a half. Yeah, some right? amount of time that's under five years. Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, yeah, also big fan of that. Make sure you check out audio stream this weekend. If you, if you hear this before then, I don't know if this will get up for Saturday though. But everybody, uh, thanks for listening this week. Ross, thanks for putting up with me for an hour and 40 minutes. This is a long <laughs> episode. But everybody, we'll see you all the next episode.